Animaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I was almost going to see Pacific Rim Uprising tonight, and then I didn't. I, I think neither myself nor my son had enough enthusiasm to really leave the house on a Thursday to do that, and I had plenty of stuff to do here in the Phantom Zone I have been constantly reorganizing things. If you follow me on Instagram as Phantom Troublemaker, actually, I might just be Phantom Troublemaker on there. I'm not sure. But anyway, if you're following me on Instagram, I've been using the stories function more, uh, which I like. I find that I get more response out of the stories uh, than I do from the app itself. And a lot of people have been complaining about Instagram lately. It's still my favorite of the social medias because I like just putting up a picture, whatever... Like hashtags you want to use will get you additional views from people who may not follow you. However many words you need to put in there, whatever. Links are a little dodgy. It would be nice if you could actually put links into the caption, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I like Instagram. I still like it. No, it's not as good as it used to be, and the ads are annoying, but I'm enjoying the stories lately. I'm, I'm digging those because people see your stories if they're following you, they see your stories just by going through and, and watching all of the stories. So I, I dig Instagram still. I, I wish it was better than it is, but it's better than, than Facebook and it's better than Twitter. Uh, and gosh, that's kind of it now. Uh, LinkedIn, Phantom, Tr- Phantom Troublemaker on LinkedIn. Is that a thing that should happen? I don't, no, it's not. I, I actually last year sometime foolishly joined LinkedIn. Uh, as me, not, not as, not for any of this business, but for actual job, job stuff, thinking that I would make connections and it might be a useful tool and I could see, you know, what other opportunities might be out there for somebody with my particular skill set, not just this stuff, but my actual day job skill set. And, uh, it's just another bullshit program where you get, constant emails until you turn off your subscriptions uh and and dumb it's crap it's garbage uh so yeah that, well it's garbage except for the fact that maybe kb toys is coming back and for some reason the people who i who supposedly purchased the kb toys brand made their announcement on linkedin that they were coming back i don't know you guys uh <laughs> i don't know so toys r us is gone soon unless a foreign investor decides that they want to buy all of the Canadian stores and around 200 of the U.S. stores, from what I understand. Their liquidation, the the media reported their liquidation was going to start Thursday, the 22nd of March, and it did not, which I'm fine with. Uh, I, I don't... You know, I feel bad enough that the place is going out of business, but I'm going to feel worse when I swoop down like a vulture upon the carcasses of the local stores to try and stuff my shelves with items that were too pricey for me to buy at uh, MSRP. We'll see. We'll see what happens. There are 
three Toys R Us stores, really four, I guess, within reasonable driving distance of me. And I'll be keeping an eye on them in the coming weeks because, uh, look, if, if somebody swoops in and saves the day, great. If somebody doesn't, you know, I'm not going to miss out on buying super cheap stuff just for no good reason uh, because I'm sad about Toys R Us. And believe me, I am sad about Toys R Us. Uh, if you have not heard the KB Toys rumor, the deal is on LinkedIn, somebody claiming to have purchased the rights to the KB Toys brand has said that they have a plan in place. They, they have been working on this for over a year, I think. And the news of Toys R Us prompted them to move up their timeline. So now they have a plan in place to open if you're familiar with spirit halloween and how they open up seasonally like they'll open up in september and close uh the first week of november just for halloween stuff the, apparently the business model for this new kb is that they will have stores open all over the country by black friday and the intention is for these to be pop-up stores to test the local markets whichever stores do well enough they will leave in place uh, the stores that don't, they will close down and, and, you know, assume they will open annually just as seasonal stores, just like Spirit does. Uh, but any stores that do well enough will be permanent brick and mortar fixtures. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I worked in retail for almost two decades and, you know, I've got a pretty good idea of what retail was like. 12 years ago, I don't know what it's like now, uh, as a professional. I know as a customer, uh, I know that I hope GameStop can hold on even, you know, we all shit on GameStop because they give you a quarter for a game you paid $60 for two weeks ago. Uh, and that's, you know, that's their business model. That's how they stayed around as long as they did. But, you know, we see if you walk into a local GameStop, we see them desperately trying to diversify their product well enough to, to stay in business, you know, as the video game market goes more and more towards downloadable content rather than physical discs. And, you know, I, I wish them the best of luck. I, I don't want brick-and-mortar retail to go away. I want it to be better. Uh, I want Walmart to go away. Now, I honestly, I think the world economy would crash if Walmart, if what happened to Toys R Us happened to Walmart, uh, the, the whole world would just, we, it would be in the Stone Ages again. We'd be living in caves because it would disrupt the economies of the world so badly. But, uh, I know that's exaggerating, but maybe not by much. I hate Walmart. I loathe them. I am a hypocrite because sometimes I do go there. Uh, you guys know, again, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen my early morning Walmart finds. And, uh, so, you know, the, the only reason I'm in Walmart in the morning is, oh crap, I need toilet paper. Oh, I need deodorant. Oh, I need whatever. And it's five o'clock in the morning. I'm on my way home from work. I'm going home to go to sleep. And that's what's open. So it it is a necessary evil, I guess. But I don't go to Walmart any more than I absolutely have to. Uh, I don't. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I will say I don't buy toys there. But it's not. That's not even really my moral stance. That's just they never have shit. Uh, one of the one of the dozen WalMarts in proximity to me doesn't have any Marvel Legends right now. Not a single figure not even the the you know eight infinity war iron man figures that everybody else has by now uh they have nothing they didn't, they 
they haven't had anything since before the Black Panther stuff hit, and they've never had the Black Panther stuff. So I, my guess, and and I've said this before, actually, I might have said this on uh, uh, another podcast that I guested on recently that I hope you guys will check out. The, You know, I'm still not clear if it's the 42 cast or the 42nd cast. I think it's the 42 cast. Uh, we, we did a great episode about 80s cartoons. I loved it. I loved going on that show. You guys should check it out. But I think over there maybe is where I mentioned uh, what what I was just talking about. But anyway, uh, Walmart is terrible. I, I hate them. I want them to go away. I like Target. Target's good. I like GameStop. I love 42nd and Charles. I mean, there's some great brick-and-mortar stores out there. Uh, however... At this point in the intro, I must point out to you that if you visit needlessthingspodcast.com, please go to the big old Amazon box on the front page. Turn off your, your ad blockers or whatever and click on that Amazon box and go buy something. Go buy something through the needlessthingspodcast.com Amazon link. doesn't cost you anything extra, and everything you buy kicks a little something back to Needless Things to help out with operating costs. And when I say that, look, uh, you know, for full transparency here, it doesn't go directly to Needless Things, but it's money that I can use on Amazon and then not use that money to pay for for need, like needless thing stuff, if you, if you know what I mean. Like, let's say I end up with 25 bucks at the end of the year, which is, I'm probably being generous with how much I'll make off of this whole Amazon deal at the end of this year. But let's say I get 25 bucks. I use that 25 bucks to buy, uh, you know, laces for my masks or new shoes or whatever it is. But then the 25 bucks of my own I would, would have used for that stuff goes to pay for the hosting and everything else for needlessthingspodcast.com. I've, I've always, that's the first time I've explained that. I don't know that it was really necessary, but I have, since I've been doing the Amazon thing, felt a little disingenuous because, I'm, I mean, obviously, I, I it's Amazon money that I'm getting. It doesn't go into my bank account or anything, but it does keep me from spending that money elsewhere. So there you go. There's how that works. And uh, now I've hit the 10-minute mark in, in much faster than I thought I would. You guys, I haven't even talked about what today's show is about. Today's show was recorded live at DragonCon 2017 as part of the horror track. I had been trying to figure out where I was going to put it in. I do believe it is the last of the DragonCon panels from last year that was salvageable. Uh, if you remember, my voice recorder got introduced to the toilet in a very unfortunate manner. So some of the panels I had to record with my phone, and it wasn't great. Some I didn't get to record at all. So I think this is the last one that's presentable as a podcast episode and it's perfect timing because season two of santa clarita diet starts on march the 23rd perfect what that means is i moved the missy suicide of the suicide girls interview back to next week so next week on march 30th you will have the much hyped much awaited and truly excellent and fun interview with Missy Suicide the week after that. Um, you know what? I don't want to go that far yet because really all we need to do is hype today's Santa Clarita diet panel with EJ Stevens and James A. Moore. And next week, Missy Suicide right here on the Needless Things podcast. So without further ado, uh, I'm excited because this 
in retrospect, you know, I, I, I did a lot of fun stuff last year. I did a lot of fun stuff last year, but this was kind of my favorite panel. We, we just had a really good time talking about this show and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And if you've binged the first season in preparation of the second, then this will be a great companion to that. And if you didn't watch the first season, shame on you. Go back and watch it. Listen to this episode and then watch the second season of this excellent show. Meanwhile, I'm going to try and find out more about this whole KB Toys situation because you guys, you know it's important in my life. Anyway, here's a little something from Santa Clarita Diet that I absolutely loved. And then stick around for a great, great live panel from the Dragon Con Horror Track. How does everybody feel about getting this thing started? Who are we? Who, uh... It was going to be me, and uh, I think uh... hey, Jason, you're on, you're on my little note card. I knew you were going to be here. Excellent. I prepared. And you've got books, which is cool. yes. Coming. Oh boy, here we go. Coming. So is this like a cinnamon type thing? Oh, oh God, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You gonna share? Is that? That's good. Okay. Have fun with that. Ooh, that's got an interesting bouquet. And uh, if anybody wants... <laughs> <laughs> that's a licensed whiskey, all right. <laughs> Woo! All right, now that that's out of the way... Are, are we ready to talk about Santa Clarita Diet? Yeah, all right. Uh, the, the, for, for me personally, the like hit su- or surprise hit of Netflix. And uh, I'll just tell you guys right now, first of all, it's, it's 10 p.m. So it's entirely possible things will get slightly more explicit than they do at 1 p.m. Uh, and for, for me personally, as far as working Dragon Con, this is my first year... Uh, doing 12 panels which for some people is not very many for me it's a lot and this is panel number 12 and if I shit the bed I apologize uh, but I think I think we're going to have fun because this was a fun show and and uh, I'm excited to talk about it and as well as my excitement we have two other excited people ready to talk first of all James A. Moore uh, I write horror novels, I write science fiction and fantasy novels, and love the show. I'm EJ Stevens. I have four series, the Spirit Guide series, the Ivy Granger Psychic Detective series, the Hunter's Guild series, and the upcoming Whitechapel Paranormal Society series. I write primarily urban fantasy and Victorian Gothic horror, or dread punk, as we've been calling it here. And uh, I absolutely love the show. I've watched it twice already. 
Now you've you've got a couple of books right in front of you. Yeah. Are you are you here? Are you somewhere here at DragonCon where we can get your books? Actually, uh, my signing was this morning, so I have a few copies of books with me, and I have a special convention price for those. And this is my 18th book that just came out. It's my newest release, Tales from Harbor's Mouth. It's a great way to get into the Ivy Granger series. And Hunting in Bruges just won a Raven Award, and last week was number one in Victorian horror. I mean, sorry, vampire horror um, on Amazon. And this is a spinoff from the Ivy Granger series and can be read as a standalone. And I'm sure we can books. find these online as well. Absolutely. And if you come up afterward, I do have, for about the fir- first ten people that come right to the table, um, I actually have some Ivy Granger passports, which have a code for a free book inside. If I run out, you can go to my website. I have cards for those, and you can get a free book if you sign up for my newsletter. Now, James, you don't have books right in front of you, which no. is why I completely failed to give you the opportunity to about your product, but please tell us as well where we can find you online. Uh, you can easily find me on Amazon. Look for Seven Forges. It's a series of four dark fantasy novels, and I've got the second book that I just finished for The Tides of War, which is my apocalyptic grimdark series. Uh, it starts with the end of the world, and it doesn't get any happier from there. <laughs> And uh, I uh, will be sort of moderating, sort of just having conversation with these two people. Uh, Phantom Troublemaker, also Dave West, owner and operator of NeedlessThingsSite.com and the Needless Things Podcast. Uh, I just really like to talk into microphones, and also I'm going to steal this because these are really cool. Kind of cool, yeah. I'm bringing this home with me. Okay, so Santa Clarita Diet. Before we actually start talking about the show, I want to talk a little bit about our expectations for the show and, like... What, because personally, all I knew was that, hey, Drew Barrymore has this Netflix show coming out where she, like, has to eat people or something. That was literally, like, all I knew about the show going into it. So my expectations were I really, really like Drew Barrymore. Oh, Timothy Oliphant's in it, too. I liked him on Justified and Deadwood, which... If Justified and Deadwood are your only frames of reference <laughs> yeah. for Timothy Oliphant, you're in for a surprise with this show. Uh, so that was, that was it. I knew nothing going in. Where, how, how prepared were you for this? I, I was about the same way. I had heard that there might be zombies involved. Beyond that, I had nothing. And, yeah, Timothy Oliphant, I love Justified, so I kind of need a fix and I need to see him on something new. Right, right. I was so confused because all of a sudden Netflix is trying to recommend this this thing to me, and I'm like, Barrymore selling Slim Fast, and, and they think I, they're recommending that I watch it. I'm like, what are they? Is this a new advertising campaign? Oh, you haven't watched it? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna sell it to you. Is what I know about. We're gonna sell it to you tonight. We're gonna ruin it for you, but we're gonna sell it to you too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and well, and that, it, it's funny because it, with Drew Barrymore, it was kind of like the last thing that I was really aware of her in was the roller derby movie that she made, which was very right. cool. But I was kind of like, oh, she she's kind of on the down low because she she has at this point in her career, she's only doing things that she loves. Uh, she has very much managed to keep her integrity. So whatever this was, I felt safe in checking it out. Well, and that's really part of it for me, too. I mean, when you get down to it, a lot of people don't realize this. She's the woman who produced Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. At which point I went, okay, well, you've just upped your game substantially for me now. Right. Paying attention. 
Exactly. And that's her... I mean, she's... And look, I think her last really high-profile project was probably the Charlie's Angels movies, which personally I did. They're, they're obviously not suitable for the horror track, but uh, for what they are, I think they were successful, and I feel like she's, she's since then sort of... Uh, taken her, her credibility to a whole other level in the projects that she's been working on. So, the show drops on Netflix. We get the entire season at once, which, how do you guys feel about being able to watch a whole season at a time? Like, should they be parsing things out, or are we good with, like, I want to sit and watch Eight episodes. I'm really good with going without sleep for a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love being able to binge and and being able to fit in. If sometimes I only have that one day, and then I, then I have another book that I need to start writing. So to be able to binge something in the course of one day, which is what I did, um, is is fantastic. And and this show is so addictive, and they have these cliffhangers of so much suspense that they leave you with you have to keep watching so it would have been torturous to have had to if they had parsed it out here's an episode now you have to wait weeks and then, no I, I I was I would have actually have waited until all of the episodes were released to watch it amen yeah. and it and it does feel like now so much of the television that we get is really designed much much like comic books are now designed to sell trade paperbacks. Television shows are now designed to be binged, even though they're not all done that way. Because there are a lot of series that are still weekly that I feel like work much better when you can watch them in chunks. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I agree. I like being able to binge something and watch as much as I want to of it at a time. Uh, and and it worked particularly well for Santa Clarita Diet because, like you said. Each episode is compelling, and in each one is—I feel like cliffhanger is too strong a word, but it does leave you like, "Oh my gosh, what is happening next? How how it's, much further are they taking this?" It's one more chapter syndrome. I'll just read one more chapter yes. of that book. Yes, in this exactly case, the right. TV show. That's exactly. I'll right. just watch one more. I, I can still get two hours sleep. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, and this is when I had Derek on the Needless Things podcast. This this was my comment to him because we, we had to talk about it a little bit. Uh, my mom, uh, who is 72 years old now, don't tell her I told you that. Uh, she loves Drew Barrymore. Because we all, like, I grew up with Drew Barrymore, like, sure. parallel to her. But my mom, you know, she knows her too, obviously. Drew Barrymore is a pop culture icon. There's nobody... Uh, certainly in America, that doesn't know who she is. And I could imagine my mom saying, oh, it's a it's a show it's a show in the suburbs with Drew Barrymore, and it looks so sweet because all the marketing is very white and pristine. There's a little blood spatter, but you don't know what that is necessarily. And I could I could imagine my poor mother tuning in and thinking, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a fun little suburban family thing where maybe she's She's having a little trouble with her tummy because she's a mom now. And that scene in the house that they're trying to sell. So much vomit. So much vomit. <laughs> and that was the point. And, and I, I feel like there's, there's not even, this isn't even a question. But for me, that was the point 
where I said, "Oh shit, what are we into?" Was that the well, like, did that shock you guys as much as it did me? That, I, that I was, was laughing so hard. Yeah, yeah. That was on par for sheer blood in, in the Evil Dead movies. I'm like, That's, yes, there yeah. shouldn't be that much puke in a human body yes. ever. <laughs> it, and, and I didn't. It, it, it was one of the most wonderful surprises of the last probably 20 years for me because <laughs> I I didn't ever expect. You know, so often entertainment now is predictable. We know what we're getting. Uh, we see trailers for things, and the trailers give away everything, the whole premise before we've even seen the product. But this. We get to that scene and she vomits for like eight minutes straight, <laughs> and it, I was I was horrified and delighted at the same time. Which is to me, for me personally, like that's my my cornerstone for good horror. I want to be repulsed, but also like, oh, this is wonderful, and that's how I felt when she was just blowing it up, and. And also at that point, there was that another key element is the disorientation of we don't know what's happening. So that... that Just know it's something bad. Yes, it's yeah. something awful. And uh, and this is also, by this point, uh, I, I do want to talk about Timothy Oliphant's performance. Because, like I said, if you only know him from Deadwood and from Justified... Uh, his comedy game is on point. So much better than I anticipated. Uh, I knew he had the dry humor from Justified, but the, 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 he carried off the, the slapstick levels on this better than I would have expected yeah, in a million years. He, his performance in this blew my mind. And granted, it's so funny because I feel like, for me, uh, the high water mark of acting is when I watch somebody doing something and I think, wow, that's so amazing. And then I have to remind myself, oh wait, that's what acting is. Because you know, we see we see so many character actors and so many people in movies and whatever that kind of are the you know, they come in and they're like, Hey, I really like Chris Pratt for doing that like studly but goofy thing that he does, and he's always Chris Pratt. And I love Chris Pratt, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But when you see somebody truly turning a corner and doing something different with a performance than we've ever seen from them before, and granted, maybe Timothy Oliphant has done other things in this vein. I haven't seen them. Uh, yeah, neither have I. This really, really impressed me. How, how did you guys feel about his character and, and their relationship as well? Well, I think that was actually one of the strongest parts of it for me was the fact that he is just the most loyal husband ever. <laughs> ever. Gosh, dear, things have gone possibly worse than I could have ever thought possible, and, and yet I'm going to help you clean this up. We're going to fix again. this. His, his mantra is we're going to fix this. <laughs> I, I love when he's trying to process and he goes and he's trying to look at the stethoscopes and, and Ramona comes <laughs> over and she's like, my manager says to come over because you've been looking at those for a really long time. <laughs> and he just like starts unraveling because at home he's trying to keep that smile all the time and be supportive of his wife. But it, it, he, he's, he's just having this moment and and it's so perfect. And, and then that, that again, that humor coming in where he's like, but, you know, there's there's the, the single head and the dual head and she's like, 
the single is one and the duel is two. <laughs> and, and he's just... And he's just having this this total meltdown, and 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 that there's this, there's those moments that feel so real. Like I feel yes. like if if I was experiencing this, if if I had a significant significant person in my life, and they just like vomited up an organ, <laughs> and they suddenly don't have a heartbeat, and I'm just like trying to cope, you would do those those things like okay, I'll just I'll I'll go to CVS. I I would I would just, I'd like buy some band aids and some vomit medicine and a stethoscope to see if you know. But you don't you're not really equipped for it. You're trying no. to you're trying to just go about it in a really normal fashion but you're just totally not equipped and he and he, it's they pull off that with such humor that it's it's fantastic well they they used that sort of frog in boiling water thing yeah where they not only do the characters not realize just how bad things are getting but the audience also like that's what I love the most about this show is it really took us for a ride because we didn't know it it utilized the tropes that we're used to in zombie uh, fiction but at the same time it did it in such a way that every turn was was unexpected and was a surprise well I, I think they mastered using absurdity and comedy together properly mm-hmm. and that's a very delicate balance I've seen a lot of people try it and fail miserably but on this one yeah He's, he's the loving, doting husband whose entire world has just imploded in the worst possible way. And he's still a cheerleader. I, I would go so far as to say that, that this was almost Coen Brothers level of... Yeah, yeah I'll give you that. ...of absurdity and ongoing, just rising conflict. To, right up to the season finale, which we'll, we'll get to... But it just kept getting more and more ridiculous. But the way that they built these characters kept us along for the ride. There was no point where where you could feel comfortable checking out and saying, okay, I don't buy this anymore. They really had levels of what the audience could accept. It was a very smart way of introducing this insane premise. Uh, and I, and I, we, we also, since we're talking about... Uh, the family, Drew Barrymore. Uh, we we have to talk about how subtle her character changes were yeah. as the series went along. Mm-hmm. We they did a very efficient job, and and there's nothing I love more than efficiency in storytelling. We got to know her character very quickly. That she was a little uptight. Uh, she was sweet, and. They within the first probably 15-20 minutes of the first episode they established who she was we all we all had that feeling of okay I know that person I, I, I know I know her and as the series went along turned that on its head as we saw the changes start to take place where she got she got more aggressive she started uh, and it's probably an interesting metaphor for the suburban house mom. I, I've, I've been married for 12 years now. I, I'm married to a suburban house mom. Uh, her job is being a mother, which is a job I couldn't handle for sure. So we see this sort of archetypal mother figure 
and it's it's the typical suburban mom thing, but escalating because she has to eat people. Yeah, <laughs> and I I never expected to see a performance like this out of Drew Barrymore because she handles the comedy perfectly, but there's drama as well when. Uh, just seeing the family dynamic, and we have to talk about the kids here, because the daughter on this show, and I have, okay, I have made notes, because I'm terrible, Liv Hewson as Abby. Uh, Liv Hewson is tremendous. I am typically annoyed by any characters in a television show that are under the age of probably like 30. (laughs) Maybe I'm going a little high there, but typically the kids are annoying. Well, they're portrayed that way. Yes. They're portrayed that way. And we've actually taught, if you've been in here for any other panels this weekend, we've actually talked about how in modern movies, there's actually a problem because when you go back to the 80s uh, of horror movies, the kids are somewhat likable. Like, you kind of like the kids. You kind of don't want them to die. But now, the kids that are portrayed in movies and television are annoying, self-absorbed, like, you just, you don't care. But they did such a good job with Abby and Eric uh, on this show. Which, by the way, Skylar Gisondo put that guy in everything. He is—he's uh, Eric. He's the neighbor, the nerdy guy with the—I the, hesitate to say it. Boy, he's abusive, abusive stepfather. Yeah. But the kids on this show were fantastic. Do you guys kind of have the same feel? Where generally kids are annoying, but yeah, but but I think both of these these had a really good chemistry. Yes. <laughs> I think generally, as directions go, they, they were they avoided the stereotypes that are out there and made them more human. One of the things that really stood out for me, and, and if you've read my any of my books, you know that I always put these really strong female characters in. And while watching the show, and especially the second time around, it really struck me how Abby and Sheila are the really strong characters that make all the decisions. Yes. They yes. they really they make all the decisions and and Joel and Eric are are the the weaker characters who are are kind of in the corner going I don't know what to do I don't know what to do they're not the ones actually making the decisions and and being decisive. Well, literally, Eric, all he has is he he's the information exposition guy. Like he is, we we need to figure out what's going on and I'm that guy and. And Joel is literally for the entire season is this, ah, like just freaking out, trying to maintain, which is a reversal of what we've typically seen through the history of, right. of uh, horror or anything and that presents screaming conflict. reversal for that particular actor too. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> that's the absolute alpha male and everything he's done. That's the cool. The cool is as ice. Tough as nails, I can handle this shit. And he is not, I can handle this shit at all. Matter of fact, uh, the, I, I love, uh, I love the normalization of him just smoking weed. And I, I, I think that was a very interesting uh, way to sort of tackle his character. Where, you know, at the beginning we established Drew Barrymore, a little annoyed by it. But understands like it's one of those things where he you know he tokes up or whatever she knows about it but they just don't really talk about it the elephant much. in the room yes, we're just going to exactly, this for now exactly 
and it ends up working into the plot in a very significant way. Uh, and, and that scene, again, turning things on their head, uh, as everybody in here has seen the show, except for this gentleman right here. We've, we've seen the show. So we know that uh, Sheila and Joel come to the decision, and, and I have my notes here because... I have this strange mental defect where it takes two to three seasons of a television show for me to remember anybody's name at all. Um, So Sheila and Joel decide, okay, Sheila has to eat people. We we have to make this happen somehow. And we go to to the, I don't know that it's quite a trope, but the, if we just kill bad people, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it palatable for the audience. And so they decide, well, there's this horrible drug dealer that's dating the underage friend of our daughter. Obviously, we can kill this guy. Sheila can eat him, and we'll be doing the world a favor. (laughs) And Joel ends up having this conversation with this horrible drug dealer where everything gets turned around and as we're watching, what was your reaction to that scene? Because I loved that scene where they've laid out the the Dexter style plastic which I think uh, there were there were so many nods to other horror oh, yeah. series and movies in this uh, that, that were very subtle but also very fun uh, how did you guys react when that scene was happening when we were discovering like, uh oh they're, they're not going to be able to do this. I thought it was a flawless fish-out-of-water syndrome, for Joel especially. <laughs> He's just like, I, 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 well, I'm, I'm going to, well, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hilarious. You have, you know, the rain ponchos and her, her dishwashing gloves and, and then that ridiculous phone ringtone Can we talk has. about her quacking ringtone? Yeah. <laughs> what is that even? In, in their petty little argument where where he's like, I, you know, people really don't like that ringtone. And she's, she's like, customers love the ringtone. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it, they it, don't. It, no, they don't. Um, and, and actually, that's one of the things I, I really like throughout the show is they have these little petty moments where, like, like, when, when they have to dispose of Gary in the desert. And they're like slipping and sliding and guts and everything. And it's so disgusting. It's, you're gorgeous like right up here. And, and, but they start arguing over the lid because she misplaced the lid. And, and then she's like, well, I'll find it later. And, and he's like, but, but, you know, if I, what do you expect us to do? Like, like bring this home and wash it and put our tax returns in it? Like, I, it, you know, we're burying it in the desert with a body, and just like, oh. But it, 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 they're those those moments that that make it real but funny at the same time. Well, and that I think is what captured us so much is that you know I, I think in different hands they would have tried to make Joel and Sheila the perfect couple. And that would have taken a lot of the audience's investment away. Because they're no perfect couple. No. Uh, and I think showing us the little the little bits of nitpicking and the little arguments, uh, the, the scene where... Okay, I'm sorry, I have to refer to my list. Uh, Dan? Dan, the... Uh, no, wait, no, Dan, we like Dan. Who's the dickhead cop? Rick! Okay, let's talk about Rick for a minute. 
Everybody, when you get online, and we all get online, because we have to these days, everybody talks about Ramsey Bolton and Joffrey Baratheon and how awful they are. Nobody in this room knows anybody that's actually like Ramsey or Joffrey. But we all know a Rick. (laughs) That guy that is a fucking dick that is trying to insert himself into every aspect of your life and for whatever reason, whether you work with him or live next door to him or whatever the case may be, you you can't just tell him to fuck off. You have to deal with this guy. And for, for me, for that, Rick is one of the greatest antagonists I've seen on television recently. I, I thought he was flawless and that basically he just looked at Joel one day and went, I, you're a bitch. Oh. And I have to own you. Oh. And did everything he could to ruin Joel's life in every possible small way. He was a perfect example of a high school bully. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Did that transition happen when he found the finger? Because I thought he was just obsessed with Oh, dude, well. I believe, I believe that he was just sort of really nutty and maybe he was a corrupt doc, but he was in advance and he was just. Well, we, we know. On him and he had anger issues. And we know that he had been a corrupt cop. For, for however long because they found his stash that, that clearly had been going on for years and years uh, and you know initially he's just antagonizing uh, Joel he just gets his jollies doing that and, and it's not in any serious way and it's certainly in Rick's mind there's nothing you know, Joel's not guilty of anything but he just likes fucking with Joel yeah. but he finds that finger and there's such a turn, and, and it affected me on a visceral level, where I was like, oh, this fucking asshole has something now. Now they really, because before Joel and Sheila could kind of be like, hey, Rick, okay, yeah, we, we got to go, okay, they do their thing. But now he has the leverage to really get into their lives. And as I'm sure all of you know, because look, a recurring theme at Dragon Con is you are going to run into the people that you do not want to run into 8,000 times. Whereas the people that you want to hang out with, you're, you're going to be, okay, where are we? Where are we now? Where are we now? But you're going to run into that one guy all weekend long. And Rick is that one guy, and now he's got the leverage to follow you around at Dragon Con all weekend. That's what Rick is. So and and he was played to perfection. Did you guys have the same like gut churning reaction to Rick that I did? I kind of wanted to get a slingshot and just take out both eyes. <laughs> I just thought it was so surprising who actually ends up killing him. Oh right, right. Because I, I mean, it seemed for sure that Sheila, because she's I mean she's the proactive one. Right. She is the one as much as Joel wants to handle things, Joel is not capable of handling things. And so they really set it up well to where you have this run of episodes where you're just waiting for Sheila to jump on him and tear his throat out. And for Joel, and in the way that he did it too, to take the, was it a hoe? The, the big shovel. The, yeah. The, I mean, very unexpected, very gratifying though, because as we've said, uh, Oliphant has been playing a very different character, a very uh, low-key, kind of like, all right, we're going to go with this, you guys. And it was totally one of those, like, 
moments. Like, it was totally He-Man pulling out the sword and going, I have the power! And, and I don't know if it was like a smoke bomb or whatever that Eric had buried, oh, but it goes right. off underneath <laughs> his ass and it's like... <laughs> He's going to be so mad at me for this. Little did poor Eric know yeah. how that thing would be activated. Um, so I've got, I've, I've got my notes and everything, but for you guys, like what... What stood out for you? What are some of your kind of like favorite moments from the show? Seriously, for me, the best part of it was just the chemistry between the two of them because it was the most realistic portrayal I've seen on a short-term TV show in years. They acted like a real couple. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I the so much vomit, like when when. when <laughs> You know when when Gary comes back and and he's just such a jerk and and he he gives Sheila flowers but Sheila goes inside to put them in, in, in water and and then Gary says to Joel he's just like that was so much vomit and and they're like having this little moment where where Joel's like well you know I'm really not a doctor and he's like there's so much vomit and and it was just. To me, it was it was really funny, and there was this juxtaposition of something so graphic and and so so horrific over this like calm, peaceful suburban like every home looks the same. It's so perfect. There's not a blade of grass out of place, and just all, all that vomit. And, and it does it, it it sets the stage for the entire series. Yes. And then and then with with when they have to take and bury. Gary in the desert, and it's just the like they're slipping and sliding on guts and pieces of Gary. Um, I love that. I also love because I, I love their little petty moments. I I I, I guess it's a late panel. I can say this. Uh, yeah, when you can argu- say whatever when you want. Now. When they're arguing over. Um, uh, <laughs> About he well Joel's like you know can you can you meet me halfway here come on can you compromise a little and she's like well I only ate one of, only one of Gary's balls I you know, <laughs> she, she's like does does that qualify you know <laughs> um, it it was just I I really love love that that just the the humor the little petty moments that that make it feel real and then they do something so unreal but it but it feels even though it's so outrageous it feels like it could be completely plausible well and that's that's a big part of the magic of it is that they have given us these characters that are well constructed that they have built in a way that we as the audience feel an attachment to you like to me if you build strong characters, you can do whatever you want. Absolutely. If you get, if you have people that we care about, I don't care if it's about zombies. I don't care if it's about nuclear war. I don't care if it's about people sitting around drinking tea. If you have that strong character base, then you've got me. And that's work that a lot of modern media doesn't bother to do now. Uh, it's really focus on the characters. Because we, I think we as people, we want to relate. Well, I think I think if you if you on a regular TV series where you have twenty two episodes or whatever, you can take your own sweet time and try to get to that point. And on this show, you started off with strong characters, and then because of the situation they're in, you got to see a proper evolution of those characters. They didn't stay the same. 
The fact that Joel actually did pick up a shovel and whack the bad guy in the head and kill him first shows, again, his absolute love of his wife and the fact that he's willing to do something that's so against his nature. And second shows that he's changing to adapt to the situation. He's not strong, but he's getting there. She's not very mean, but now she's eating people, and that, by definition, causes a certain amount of meanness. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, and also, in the first few minutes, it, when they show her in the workplace, and her boss is just walking all over her, you get this, this sense that she's a very capable person, but she's so very nice. and she doesn't, she doesn't want to rock the boat. Exactly, exactly. And then later on, when she uh, confronts the principal... And you think that she's not going to be able to control her urge to actually just kill him. But she she kind of takes a moment, a breather, and then she uses her words. And that was another thing that for me, as someone who uses words for my, my job, uh, I, I love that there's there's an underlying, it's it's not obvious, but there's an underlying um, theme of the, the power of words. And you see that when... Um, when Sheila is telling people to be your best self, follow your truth, and and all, all of a sudden people are making huge changes just by her saying that. They start buying vehicles and, and booking trips and everything, and, and also her message to Abby when Abby discovers them in the desert and they're burying Gary, and she says, um, Gary was a bad man because he didn't listen to my words. And just seeing that this, it was an interesting thing that kept coming up about about the power of words and someone was good or bad or could change things with their words. And and that was definitely another way that the show kind of subverted my expectations because there were so many situations where we thought, okay, this is it, this is where she's going to go bonkers and tear this person apart, and she didn't. Right, she uses uh, her words. She maintained, uh, and that she that did was, what people would do in the real world in that kind of yes, horrible situation. You have to choke it down and deal. Yeah. Uh, real quick, on a sidebar, I want to talk about the hilarious and incredible relationship between Lisa Palmer and Ann Garcia, uh, Rick's wife, and the sheriff's deputy. That came about later in the season, where after Rick has passed, we start to see this oh, interesting closeness between uh, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, who we know from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I love seeing her in this because she's the for those uh, she's the waitress in It's Always Sunny, and uh, she's been in plenty of episodes, but we uh, she doesn't get to do as much as I'd like to see her do, and she got to have a lot of fun in this show. I felt like. And uh, and Garcia, who uh, Eureka, I believe she was on Eureka, and she's a sheriff's deputy. And after Rick has passed, we start to see this really interesting. Like they seem awfully close. What's going on here? Did you guys? Oh, yeah. Were you entertained by that relationship as I was? But see, that again is one of the things that I thought was just brilliant about the show. They do things that, you're, that are unexpected, but at the same time, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Yes. I don't know yes. that I was entertained by it. I mean, I, 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 I like that there's representation, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know if I was actually entertained by it. Well, I liked the idea because to me, they had taken Mary Elizabeth Ellis's character and presented her as somewhat insatiable. 
she was actually more the stereotypical suburban housewife than Drew Barrymore's character was. And I liked the idea that she had married this rich guy for our sort of American ideal of security. You know, oh, well, he's got a good job. He's a strong, you know, cop guy, and he can provide and take care of my son. But also, I'm really horny. And I like that it kind of turned a different corner and went with this interest with one of Rick's co-workers. And they established it through, the, you know, they went through the photographs on the mantle and everything. Like, they, they, in a very brief amount of time, they exposed this other backstory that we were unaware of. Right, that they had been friends. But they, right, right, right. But that they established it in such a way that we were like, oh, this is pre-existing, but now we're seeing it because Rick is gone. And I, I, I think it was done very well, and it wasn't... It was very important to hit the tone of that right. It wasn't done in a camp way. Right. It wasn't done in a disrespectful way. It was done in a... Uh, you know, everything in the show was a little over the top. Everything in the show was a little like faulty towers, but with blood and vomit. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was... It was real... But it was also that sort of like, oh, wow, here's another lascivious little notion that's happening in this community. So I, I, for, for that, I, I, was, I, I loved watching that unfold. And that was, again, the magic of the show. It's the, again, the evolution of character for me is fascinating on that because you don't see that on too many shows. They don't want to break the status quo and change things. Right. They're not afraid to. Oh, the fact, yeah, the fact that Rick even died is crazy. Uh, it, it, it's almost like Ned Stark level of like, oh, I really didn't think that was going to happen. Like, if, if you look at standard television now, uh, my expectation would, that, would be that Rick was going to be a thorn in their side forever, for yeah. a long time to come. And, and not only Rick, uh, okay, let me zip down here. Uh, the uh, Okay, Timmy... Who knows the song Timmy the Trumpet? It's the song that played while uh, Joel and Sheila were attempting to subdue the drug dealer in the apartment. Uh, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and was absolutely perfect for this scene. So Sheila, after they have completely failed to kill this guy, they're discussing it. Did you bite him? Did you scratch him? I don't know. I might have. And, of course, it turns out that they've zombified the drug dealer. I don't know that zombie... Do you guys think zombie is even the right word? Eh, close enough. Right. For, for our purposes. Got, it'll, got, it'll got no heartbeat. You're up and, up and walking and you're eating flesh. So, we get... Once again, we have a very interesting turn where our first expectation is that the zombified drug dealer is going to be a huge problem. And then they meet him, and he's singing folk songs in a coffee house, <laughs> which defies our expectation. And they have this conversation, and I love Timothy Oliphant's. Uh, and again, this sort of goes to the... It's, uh, horror and comedy and everything else is at its best when it's presenting realistic situations in a fantastical way. 
we have all, those of us who are in long-term relationships, who are married or whatever, have had that uncomfortable encounter where our mate, our spouse, or partner has had some very specific thing in common with another person. You're at a party, and you're, you're what in my case, my wife, uh, ends up talking to somebody who also ran a comic book shop. And they have this great conversation. And you're sitting there the whole time like, well, you guys are both this thing, and I'm not. I like comic books. So Thor's cool, but they're way off your level. And that's the same thing that was happening here, is we have... Drew Barrymore and the drug dealer character have this connection that Timothy Oliphant is not part of. And there's that awkward, once again, we're going back into these characters and getting to really have fun with the relationships and with the way that the story is building. And uh, But then after that, it gets turned again because they've already defied their expectations. So they've got us, and then they're free to flip it again. How did you guys... How did you react to that, oh, shit, he is a problem? Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, I just I just love it when um, Drew Barrymore is like, fuck, we can't, you know, a guy and a girl still can't be friends, even when we're fucking dead. Uh, yes. Um, yes. That, was, that was brilliant. Um, but I, I love, I, I know I keep talking about these petty arguments, but they had the petty argument about they, we went to, you know, come on, Sheila, I really wish we could go to the store once and just stick to the list, just buy the things that are on the list. <laughs> and, and she's like, I needed a new hairbrush. And he's, and then she's like, and, you know, so what was, you know, the, the, the manicure kit that you got and he's like I needed it so but it, it turns out she, she ends up using that hairbrush to kill Loki so it was totally worth it um, but I think sometimes they even use those little petty arguments to give you a hint about what's to come that, yes. that's something it, that, that is going to be significant and, and what's so brilliant about that is we get invested in the arguments because we've all had them and so it's almost like the show makes us pay attention to those plot cues. So it's a, it's a very clever way of, you know, there are a lot of shows where you have to watch and pay attention to things to understand, like, reveals later on. And uh, casual viewing doesn't do it. But in this, rather than expecting the viewer to sit there and take notes and pick up on everything... They use the story to grab our attention so that later on when the reveal is made, we're already there with them. I don't really think there was a lot of wasted time put into dialogue or anything else. I think all of it kind of swerved in there beautifully. Yes. And I wish a lot more shows would pay attention to that kind of concept. Really, really solid writing and much better than people give it credit for. I I think it's a, a rare talent that the creative team for this show has to have combined... Well, first of all, the cast... Look, any other cast couldn't have executed this as competently. The, the I feel like every single person on this show is magic. Oh yeah, yeah. they're brilliant. And, and then, I hope they can do it for a second season. I, I, hope, I, I hope, feel I hope. like it's been, and, and I'm saying this. Uh, I feel like I have seen that it has been picked up for a second season. But I mean, I hope they can sustain. Oh sure, sure, sure. Well, I. I for the first season to have been executed as competently as it was, 
I, in my mind, that means they have a plan for at least three, because the way that it ended. Oh yes. For sure, they know what season two is going to be. Absolutely. Uh, and and it's also kind of nice because you know typically the first season of a television show is not Stumbles. as successful as yeah. this one because it takes a while to find its way. Uh, and, and they're some of my favorite shows in the world. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in my opinion, is the greatest show of all time. Yes. But that first season took some time to figure out... And to figure its stride. Yes, absolutely. And this one hit the ground running and it did not stop. It absolutely did. Uh, all right, so we have just a few minutes left. Uh, is there anything that you guys wanted to bring up or wanted to hear us talk about before we close this out? What do you got? know what caused her to become a zombie, though. Uh, well, sort of. Because we did have the byline with... Uh, Oh gosh, what's his name? Help me out, the principal, Thomas Lennon. Mm-hmm. We did have Thomas Lennon uh, and his grandmother, and Timothy Oliphant begins to uncover the origin of this thing. We don't necessarily know everything about it, but they find that it's this. Is it Romanian? I think. Yeah. So something, some Eastern European devil magic, something along those lines. And I don't think we know why it happens. I mean, they make that joke, you know, don't eat the oysters at Chipopo's. Yeah, right, right. She, because she they, she got sick after eating there. And, yes. and yeah, they kind of mentioned that a few times. But, yeah, they don't know really if she had been scratched or ate something bad right, that was contaminated with the virus. It to someone or, else. Right. Saying, well, who gave it to her? Right. Well, right. and what's funny is, is, you know, we have this Romanian legend now. But we don't know if that's a red herring. We yeah, could exactly. get into the second season and, you know, Timothy Oliphant, who has been, he, he and Eric, Joel and Eric are kind of our researchers now. They're the guys who are trying to get to the bottom of this. And we could very easily have a second season where they say, all right, it's totally this thing. We're going to figure it out. And, and we also have uh, Portia de Rossi's insane mad scientist character which was such a delightful surprise because I didn't know she was part of the show and when she showed up and started chewing the scenery more than Drew Barrymore had been chewing dead bodies <laughs> yeah. I was delighted because that that to me this show had so many turns where it, it became like oh my gosh this is so much fun oh look at this other thing they're willing to do now and then Portia de Rossi shows up and it's just this over the top all, almost cackling mad scientist type character uh, was just wonderful so there's there's plenty of open ground for them to do whatever they want in the second season with oh no it turns out it's not that oh we have to go this other way it, it's while they gave us satisfying enough explanations, they also left it open enough to tell whatever story they want to tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I think they left beautiful hooks for the next season if there should be a second season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mario? Yeah, so uh, horror comedy is like my favorite genre of film, and I feel like this shows them a little bit like what Cabin in the Woods did and Tucker Dale vs. Evil that Wow! Wow! Well, you just—I mean, you just named to to me a, a pretty sacred trifecta in, in between this Tucker and Dale and Cabin in the Woods. I mean, 
and ball solid stuff. Uh, if you if you haven't, and, and look, there obviously horror comedy is a very specific thing. It's tough to get right. I think if you have not seen Shadow of the Vampire, oh, Shadow of the Vampire is Willem Willem Dafoe has never been more haunting. Have you ever have you ever actually seen the movie Nosferatu? Well, that's exactly it. But one of the things is the guy that was playing the vampire, uh, Max Schreck, I believe it was, really was a method actor. He never showed up on set without being in full makeup. So there were rumors that he was actually a vampire, so they played with that. Uh, Writer-wise, I would very, very strongly urge you to pay attention to Jeff Strand. One of his first books was Grave Robbers Wanted, No Experience Necessary. And he has titles along those lines, and they're very, very funny books. They're also suddenly absolutely horrifying. It's like you're in the middle of laughing when suddenly you want to gag. And, and honestly, for, for horror comedy, uh, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily put it strongly in comedy, but I mean, Return of the Living Dead is, uh, to me, top of the line, because when I first saw that movie, I was going into it as a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. And the first time that I watched it, I was like, why is this funny? What is happening here? I don't get it. But now, being older and wiser, I totally get it. I, I love that movie. American Werewolf in London? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They, they haven't really done that many that were really successful for me. Because it's, it's a really tough. hard thing to blend the two together properly. A lot of times they'll use a little bit of comedy for relief in the horror. And there's the obligatory jump scare with the cat in the closet, where I'm like, it's just funny now, and it's kind of stupid. Yeah. Uh, which is why I point again to Jeff Strand, because he's really very adept at this. Um, I, I Zombie is good, too, but it's, it's not as horrific, but there's definitely the comedy and some horror elements. I Zombie? Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big of fan of I Zombie. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, um, and then there's also, you've got stuff like Creep Show, Tales from the Dark Side that have humor. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, at this point, you can get Tales from the Crypt on DVD for, from Amazon for next to nothing, entire seasons. I mean, if you haven't seen the old Tales from the Crypt series from HBO, it, it's it's top shelf. Have you seen Housebound? Anybody? No. Uh, Loved it. I haven't. Loved haven't. it. Excellent horror comedy. It's uh, New Zealand horror comedy. And what we do in the shadows? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Oh, Feast. I have seen that yet. Feast. If you haven't seen Feast, Feast, put it on the top of your list. All right. And on that note, uh, it is time to wrap it up. James A. Moore, where can we find you online? What are you up to? Uh, again, if you, if you look on Amazon, I've got a page there. I'm always on Facebook, and half the time I'm just saying mean things about Trump because why not? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. Well, we all everybody's yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to disagree with that. And uh, EJ Stevens, where can we find you online, and what are you up to? EJStevensAuthor.com. I also have a blog blog from the shadows. And like I said, if you have a moment at the end, you can come up. I have some freebies up here. And my next book is, uh, oh, geez, I have, I have like three more things coming up in the next few months. But um, stop by the website and you can get all the information and also the reading order for all of my series. 
And EJ is also quite masterful with the snark in her stories. <laughs> Thank <So>. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Phantom Troublemaker from NeedlessThingsSite.com, the Needless Things podcast. Uh, all of the panels that I was on this weekend will be up as part of the Needless Things podcast. And I've got some business cards up here, so come and grab them. You guys, thank you so much for coming out for this late night panel. We love this show. We hopefully will be back next year talking about season two. Amen to that, Thanks, guys. Now, some of you may not know this, but the horror track actually takes place in an airplane hangar underneath the engine of a Boeing 747. I'm just joshing you. No, we're, we just, we're sitting right under an air conditioning unit, which is why every horror track, uh, panel that I record has that, that turbine sound. Like, well, you know what? Let, let's put it a different way. We're, we're recording on a starship. And that's just that Enterprise hum, baby. Okay, it's not the Enterprise hum, but uh, I, I think once you get a couple minutes into these, it really does, like you really don't notice it all that much uh, if the conversation is engaging, which it certainly was for this panel. I had never met either of these folks before. Well, that's not true. I think I had been on one other panel with James uh, this that that weekend, uh, but. I didn't really, I mean, I, I didn't know either of them, and I think we had a great conversation and a lot of fun, and I really do hope that we get to do a Season 2 panel this year. Uh, and if, if it's in the same time slot, great, because it was an awesome way to, to finish off my weekend, or at least to, to finish off my working weekend, because I went to the Puppet Slam after this, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice, fun, low-key panel. So, uh, Derek, if you're listening... Santa Clarita Diet Season 2, 10 p.m. Sunday night. I think it's magic, buddy. All right. So anyway, uh, that that's it, you guys. I, I think there's a lot of nerd news, and I think we're going to have to do a nerd news episode really soon. But, man, are we slam-packed with uh, interviews and topics and commentaries and all kinds of other stuff. And, and maybe someday I'll do some divergent other thing. I don't know. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.